And if you have Romans 8.18 through 29. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing <coughs> with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself Let's go back to the question. God Do you believe that? That God is really in control? It's an important question that you need to sort out because, again, what we're talking about in Romans 8, if you think that God is not in control or that God is not working everything for your good, then something's wrong. Either God is lying or God is fooling you. And quite frankly, if that's the case, and our faith is built upon those kinds of scriptures, why on earth are we believing them? I look around here right now. There are at least four people that weren't here at some point in the last month or two that we prayed for as we do when folks are missing from us and what we pray is not oh lord give them a good day oh lord help them wake up and make them happy 
we pray like this. Lord, we miss Mike. Lord, we're missing Jim. Lord, we're missing whoever it is. Give the doctors and the nurses and the people that will be dealing with them wisdom and bring healing to them because we want to see them again soon. And guess what? God answers prayer. And it's not just happenstance that you're here at Lamb and here as well. It's because God is in control and working everything with two reasons in mind. Don't miss this. You know, when we read this chapter, we, we are so man-centric. We are so interested in us that we just can't wait until we get to Romans 8, 28. God's working everything for our good with the emphasis on what? Our good. That's the secondary reason. That's the secondary reason. In the Catechism, the question is, why did God make all things? He didn't make all things for our good. He made all things for His glory. He wants everything to point to Him. That's reason number one. And before we go any further, as sometimes I do, I forget that we ought to always pray. So we're going to pray right now. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we continue in this study and teach us what in our own strength and in our own understanding we cannot gain. Help us to be clear both in the speaking and in the hearing, in the transmission and the receiving and change our lives as a result of these words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So God made you for his glory. And if you are one of his people, God is working everything for your good. But your good, as we've said before, is not just you get up in the morning and you know that achy toe you had yesterday? It's not. How about it? There's no achy toe today. And the arthritis that was bothering you, oh, today is going to be a good day. I don't, I don't feel that arthritis. Or that throbbing migraine headache that's been with you for three days. It's gone. And the fever that you had earlier in the week. And you're saying to yourself, God's working everything for my good. And what you do is you fill in the blank that my good is my throbbing big toe, the migraine headache, and the fever that was bothering me. They're all gone. That's not what the good is. And just read this passage. And we're told that the Holy Spirit is praying for you if you're one of the children of God. 
He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, perfectly. Part of the discussion I had with the woman earlier before church at around 4 o'clock in the midst of her struggling with some things and her tears. She said, I want the will of God to be done. I know what she meant by that. But while I understand what she meant by that, I nevertheless challenged her. Do you really want the will of God to be done? Because the will of God may be that your loved one does not make it out of the hospital. The will of God may be that your loved one breathes their last sometime soon. And you can fill in the blanks of the questions of your lives because when we're saying we really want the will of God to happen, just like do you believe that God is in control? Do you really want the will of God to happen? Do you really want the will of God to happen? Now, I don't say that as somebody lecturing you on what you ought to do and what you ought to believe. I say that as somebody who has struggled with that very question. When I've been visiting a loved one, literally on their deathbed, and on the one hand I'm praying, Lord, your will be done, and the reality turned out the Lord's will was that person died that night four or five hours later. Four or five hours later. That was the will of God. And I didn't like that. I was heartbroken on the one hand and angry with God. And yet the real challenge to my own heart was, did I really want to pray the will of God? Or was I simply mouthing words that we become familiar with? You see, part of what praying is, isn't that I'm twisting God's arm to do what I want. It's bringing my heart into submission to the secret things of God as they become they go from being secret to revealed. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you have got to learn to trust God so much because the good is the finished part of the tapestry. That the day is going to come that God is going to look at your life and look at my life and he's saying, I did a good job on John or Ann or Jenny or Bill. And I'm done. That's how I want them to be. That's how I want them to look. We're done. The tapestry of their life is done. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Because when he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What does all things mean? Anybody? 
It means all things. I used to have a professor years ago at seminary, and he would mess with us. And he, you know, he'd come to a verse like this, and he'd say, okay, it was all guys in the class. We only had men in this particular class. And he'd say, men, I want you to read that verse with me. And we'd get to, for those who love God, all things work together for good. And he'd say, what does all things mean? Somebody would raise their hand and say, all things. And then he'd go like this. And you know what it says in the Greek? Because Paul wrote it in Greek first, before it became in English. In the Greek, it means all things. In other words, there was no secret meaning. God wasn't throwing us a curveball. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknow, knew, he also predestined, and here's the good predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So on the one hand, God looks at Margaret and says, I love Margaret. She's a dear child of mine, but she's not perfect yet. But I'm working everything in Margaret's life to make her look and act and think just like her Savior Jesus who died for her. And one day, she's going to be like him. Because she's going to see him face to face. That's what the verse means. The good is that God is not looking at you and saying, I'm done. I saved you, we're good, you're good enough, come live with me forever and eternity. No, 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 no. It's, I'm shaping all the parts of your life, I'm weaving all those threads, and you need to look past how they look underneath here, and by faith, believe that I'm weaving a beautiful tapestry of your life and that more and more even though you don't see it I see it when I was a little boy imagine that there was once a little boy Billy Rudolph and Billy Rudolph had two brothers brother Rob who was older and brother Dave who was younger and I remember, I think it was in our kitchen, in one of the houses that we lived in. And you may have had this in your house. You'd have a situation with a wall, and on the wall, it would be like this. Come over here, Billy. Stand here. Put your back to the wall. And Dad would get a pencil and do what? He'd mark it. Maybe on your birthday. Why did parents do that? They did that simply to just show the progress of growth. But what was interesting was, on a day-to-day -day basis, we weren't thinking about that we were growing. Until one of the relatives would come. 
in my case, my nan and pops. <coughs> I didn't see them often. Maybe they came once a year. And when they would come, they'd look and they'd say, oh, you've grown so much. And one of us would take them over to the wall and say, you're right, Grandma and Grandpa. And you'd point to where it was your mark with your name and your birth date. And then you could show them and say, look how much I've grown in this last year. And sometimes it was a little bit. And sometimes it was a lot. But over time, what you had was a section of your house where the wall was marked showing the growth of the children. Because on a day-to-day -day basis, as you're growing up, you're not thinking about, I grew an inch, I grew two inches, I grew a quarter inch. You're just thinking, I don't know if anything happened today. But when you look at it like that, you can see a difference. There are people that I know who have become Christians, who six months in, a year in, five years in, the growth that they've made in their lives is remarkable because of things like prayer and Bible study and faithful worshiping with the people of God. On a day-to-day -day basis, they don't look to themselves like they've changed much at all. But God says, oh, you're changing. As a matter of fact, I'm working everything for your good. And you don't know it. You just see that tapestry on the underside, and you're looking at it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, is that a mess? I mean, this thread's going here, and there's dark parts here, and it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And God is saying, that's because you're looking at it from this side. I'm looking at it from this side. And the advantage that I have, child of mine, that you don't have, is you're looking at the unfinished product underneath. I know exactly what you're going to look like when I'm done. <clears throat> One of my brothers, Rob, <clears throat> was into modeling. He, he liked making models of, especially of cars. <clears throat> and then eventually he became an artist later on in life and an art teacher. But when he would do his modeling, it wasn't just putting the model together with the glue. He would customize it and paint it and paint it and sand it and paint it and sand it and paint it. And he had a good idea as to where he wanted it, wanted to go with it and what he wanted it to look like by the time he was done. And then when he was finished with it, he would enter his models into contests. I do that sometimes with photography. But rarely when I'm doing my photography do I have in mind what exactly I want something to look like. It's a different process altogether. God, on the other hand, 
knows exactly what he wants you to be like when he's done. You don't see it. You don't see it at all. Oftentimes, you don't have a clue. The different passages that God is taking you down, the different rabbit trails, the different avenues, the different events of life. And you may never see it in some cases. On the other hand, we may be remarkably surprised. There was a couple we met yesterday at the memorial service. The man who had passed away, this was a high school buddy of his. And we're thinking about it, and we met them. And he said, oh yeah, you know, when we were kids, we used to mess around, and we did this together and that together, and we had fun together. And when we were talking about it later, between the two of us, Ann and I remarked to each other, isn't that amazing, that here's this man who hadn't seen Charlie in 50 years, but when he saw the news about Charlie's death, he had to drive for a couple hours to get to the memorial service. Because the time that he spent with Charlie was important enough that he wanted to pay his respects. Now, what's the point of that story? It's this. We have no idea often the impact it will have on others. I can't say that enough to some of you at LAMP. In your respective houses, for those of you who call yourselves Christians, you can have a bigger impact on your respective homes and the people that live there or at your end of town or your section of town than I can have because those people there in those homes see you day to day. Day in and day out. They don't see me day to day, day in and day out, but they do see you. And those are people that you can have an impact just by living your life as a Christian. Being thoughtful, being kind, praying for them, letting them know you're praying for them. You don't have an idea, I think, of the impact that you may have on their lives in the same way that oftentimes we don't understand the impact that the different events of life are having on us and changing us and shaping us. <clears throat> We've seen it time and again both in our own lives, but in the lives of other people, where over time this person seems to be growing up in the faith. And you're able to see them, just like you know the parent is able to see the markers. And you're thinking, you know what, a year ago, I, I would see it in counseling. <coughs> Let me just share one story. 
there was a woman that I was counseling. <clears throat> and when she came to me, she shared with me the different medications that she was taking on a daily basis. I asked her for what? Depression, anxiety, couldn't sleep. Called herself a Christian. Acted accordingly. Treated her like she was a Christian. She is, in fact, a Christian. <clears throat> Just in the time that I've gotten to know her, which is now going on five years. I couldn't have been happier the day that she walked into my office. She had a big smile. I said, what's going on? She said, I've decided to cut back on my meds. How come? Because I've begun to realize that part of my anxiety and part of my depression is really the fact that I really am not trusting or haven't been trusting God. And I've been asking God to increase my faith. Well, another month or two went by, and one day she came in again, another big smile. I said, what's going on? She said, not taking any of those meds anymore. And she doesn't. And she hasn't. And she's grown as a Christian. Even though some of the times over the past few years have been very difficult for them individually and as a family. But as she learned more and more to trust in God, she learned more and more to trust less in the crutches that were simply propping her up. <clears throat> Do you believe that God is in If you don't, God's not going to, you know, strike you with a lightning bolt. But God does, does want to hear from you. And quite frankly, all that that means is, Lord, you could be like the Father in the Gospels. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It means being honest with God. Lord, help me to believe. Help me to believe that you're working everything for your glory and for my good. Help me to believe that you're in control. Help me to believe that you've got my back more than anybody else in my life. Whether that be parents, friends, brothers, sisters. Because if you gain that understanding and really begin to understand what Paul is saying when he's saying that God has made you to be conformed to the image of his son. My goodness. Those are amazing words. It means that God is very much interested in you and very active in your life, whether you understand all of that or not, whether you believe that or not. 
And the sooner you understand that, I think the easier this Christian life becomes. Instead of just trying to kick against God's will when things aren't going your way. Well, that's what I wanted to share with you. We're going to get into some difficult areas in the next few weeks. But difficult only because I think people sometimes want to put God in a box instead of reading the scriptures and understand what Paul is talking about when he talks about predestination and election and calling of God and justification and glorification and what all of those things mean. But I'll give you just a tidbit to think about between now and then. When he talks about predestination, what that means is before time, before God created anything, for his people, God had those individuals in his mind and in his heart. Knew that he was going to create you. Knew that he was going to save you knew that he was not going to save everybody. Elected some and passed over others. That's what the scriptures teach. And at Shepherd's Chapel, we're not going to apologize to anybody for that. That's what we believe. That God elected some, God chose some, God passed over others. Some will be saved, but not all. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we need to understand that. And we'll continue with that, Lord willing, in the next few weeks. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we pause to give you much thanks for this time that we're able to gather with the people of God together. And we pray now that as we leave, you would dismiss us with your blessing and give us safety and provision for the night ahead and for the week ahead. We pray in Jesus' name.